God does move in mysterious ways. But, you know, when we look at him and trust him, we find incredible blessings and mercy. And we're going to see that this morning as we open our Bibles back to the book of Jonah. This is the uh, fourth in a series of sermons out of Jonah. We have one more that we'll look at next week. And in each of these, what I've tried to show you is something of the nature and character of God. We've seen in the opening chapter, the very first part of the opening chapter, the relentless love of God. In fact, this whole uh, series is entitled God's Relentless Love. We saw that it's a love that will never let us go. It's a love that comes after us, that God loves us too much to leave us in our rebellion. And then we saw the wrath of God. It's not a very popular subject, but it's certainly spoken of hundreds and hundreds of times through Scripture. We heard about it this morning, the anger of God, the wrath of God, that righteous indignation that's directed against all forms of sin and evil because every sin is a grievous offense against the holiness of God. And yet we talked about the good news of the gospel, how Jesus came and he became our substitute. And he bore the wrath of God in our place. We looked at that in the second week. Last week, we started talking about the mercy of God. We talked about the mercy seat and how when Jonah was in his distress, he looked to the temple of God where the mercy seat was. And we began to talk about mercy. And so today we're going to talk about God's justice and mercy. We have to understand both of those things. So we'll be looking at that. And the next week, we're going to talk about the compassion of God as we finish up this series. But it not only teaches us about the nature and character of God, it teaches us something about us. You know, there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. I hope you realize that. You know, as I go through this and look, I'm like, oh, my goodness, just call me Jonah because it's there. You know, I stop and think about when I don't trust God like I ought to trust God, when I think I know better than what God knows, and I'm I'm stubborn, I'm hard-headed, I'm stiff-necked. I want it my way. Or you see in Jonah that reluctance uh, to be willing to share his faith. I mean, he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to do that. And what about us? How reluctant we are. See, there's so much of Jonah in all of us. I mean, that all really is. That's another sermon, you know. What do we see in us that we see in Jonah? Well, you remember the story, and just one more time, quickly to remind you of it. God calls Jonah on an unprecedented mission. He calls him to leave Israel and to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. And the Assyrians were a ruthless, violent, oppressive people, as we'll see this morning. And they were terrible enemies of Israel. And so Jonah didn't want to go. So what does he do? He tries to run from God. He flees from God's presence. And he goes down to Joppa, which was a major seaport of Israel at that time. Gets on a ship. He wants to head as far away from God as he possibly could. Didn't work out very well because God sends a great big storm. And the storm comes. The ship is about to break up. The sailors fear for their lives. And so they want to know who brought the calamity upon them. So they cast lots. Lots fall on Jonah. And so what do they do? They hurled him into the sea. And the raging sea became perfectly calm. And God appointed a big fish. And that big fish swallowed Jonah. And like a lot of us, when we hit rock bottom, we start getting real serious about our faith. And Jonah cried out in his distress. He began to plead to the Lord. He looked to God's mercy, and God heard him, and God delivered him. And now we pick up at that point, and we're in the third chapter this morning, 
God's justice and mercy from the third chapter. This is God's word. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city and he proclaimed, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. And then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. This is the word of God. Let us pray here. This morning, Lord, as we talk about these two alternatives of justice and mercy, these are deep things. These are important things. And so I pray that you help us to hear and that your spirit would illuminate our hearts and minds to grasp the depth of the truth of your word. For we make this prayer in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Now the very first thing that you see in the passage is the determination of God. It's very comforting to me when I thought about this. It's very comforting to me to know that the purposes and plans of God cannot be undermined, thwarted, or changed by anyone. In other words, when God determines to do something, no one and nothing can prevent that from happening. And this is why God's, this is what God says about himself in Isaiah. Yes, and from ancient days I am he. No one can deliver out of my hand. Now look at the last part of that verse. When I act, who can reverse it? Well, what's the answer to that? No one. When I act, no one can reverse it. You see, God was absolutely determined to send Jonah to Nineveh. And so now he calls him this second time. And this time Jonah obeyed. Now, I'm going to be honest. He didn't have much of a choice, did he? Now, here's the reality up front. And I want you to get God is absolutely sovereign. He is all powerful. And he is all wise. And he has an eternal purpose. He's absolutely sovereign. He's all powerful. And he's all wise. And he has an eternal purpose 
which will be accomplished. In fact, he works everything out in conformity with that purpose. Look at it. Here it is. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him. Now, let me stop there and say, you understand that you and I are part of God's plan. This is what makes life in its complexities on this earth and through the difficult times in this earth sustainable. This is what carries us through. This is when we're able to look through those, those clouds, those, those threatening clouds we saw earlier in that hymn we sang. We're able to look through that and we're able to see in it something bigger that God has a plan and we're part of that plan. And here's the, here's what he says. It says, We've been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything. Do you see that word? Everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Now, I'll tell you, when I was much younger, I didn't understand this the way I understand it now. But I look back over my life now, and I see some of the most difficult, painful, tragic moments. And yet I can see God's hand in those. When I was in the middle of them, I didn't. And I'll tell you what, I think the older you get, the more you appreciate this idea of the sovereignty of God. It gives such great comfort to us that God has this eternal purpose for each of us. And let me tell you something. He will bring it to completion. He will bring it to completion. You remember Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. When God starts working in your life, He is not going to stop working in your life until Jesus comes back. And wherever you are in your spiritual life at this point, in your spiritual journey at this point, there is the hand of God at work in your life. Sometimes we don't feel it. Sometimes we feel like God's way away from us. I promise you He's not. He is right there with us. And he will bring it to completion. He works everything in conformity with his will. He brings it to completion. And it's all for our good. This is the only way, unless you understand this, Romans 8.28 makes no sense at all. You know Romans 8.28. We know that all things, some things, most things, a few things, no. All things work together For the good, for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. No matter what we face, we know that if we can look, when those storms of life come your way, and they will, when they come your way, and we look in faith to our God, who has this plan, who's working everything out in conformity with his will, when we trust him and we look at him, You know what we're going to have? We're going to have his perfect peace. And that's why Isaiah put it this way. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Now, here's my question this morning. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? There's some of you facing very difficult times. There's storms. There's pain. The fear. It's so easy to let those things paralyze us. Do we trust him? He has a plan. It's a good plan. 
And he's going to work everything in conformity to it. He's going to bring it to completion. And it's going to be for our good. Because he's a good God. That's the great promise. Now let's look at Jonah's sermon for a minute. His sermon was basically about the justice of God. And here was the sermon. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. How about that message? Now I'm sure there was more to it. But you know that was the core of it. And what was it a message about? It was a message about the justice of God. We don't hear many sermons. You know, I've preached a couple of sermons here. The wrath of God. How many times do we hear about that? The justice of God. When we talk about the justice of God, we're talking about, and pay close attention to this. When we talk about the justice of God, we're talking about his just dealing and right action against all sin and evil. His just dealing and right action against all sin and evil. Because God is a just God, he cannot ignore sin. He has to take action against it. Now, remember what's happened here in Jonah. First verse of the whole book sets it up when God first called Jonah to go to Nineveh. Do you remember why he sent him? He says, the wickedness of Nineveh has come up before me. The wickedness of Nineveh has come up before me. And so now God sends Jonah. He's taking action. God sends Jonah to go preach this message of judgment there. And we're given a little bit of the insight into the wickedness of the Ninevites, the wickedness of the Assyrians, in the words of the king. If you'll look at verse 8, you'll see it. But let man and beast, let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. This is the king speaking. And here it is. Let them give up their evil ways and violence. Now, I want you to focus on the word violence there, particular word. That word violence denoted the idea of oppression and social injustice. Oppression, abuse, exploitation. That's the word. And because of this, many of the prophets spoke against the Assyrians. Jonah wasn't the only one. You read through there. A number of the prophets spoke against the wickedness, the oppression, and the social injustice. One of them was that another one of those little minor prophets that you probably have a hard time finding in the book, the book of Nahum, in which Nahum, talking about the city of Nineveh, said, Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, and never without victims. That was the reputation of the Assyrians. And because of the oppression and the social injustice on the part of the Assyrians, God sent Jonah with this message. It was a message of judgment, a message of divine judgment upon the people there because he saw the suffering. He saw the pain. When I was working on this sermon, immediately what came to my mind was the story of Sarah and Hagar. Do you remember this? You remember Abraham and Sarah? And God had made a promise that he was going to give Abraham an heir, and Sarah was going to bear a child. And Sarah didn't believe God. She didn't trust God. She took matters into her own hands. And so she gave Abraham, her servant, 
Hagar. But here was the problem. When Hagar conceived, Sarah was filled with with terrible jealousy and animosity and bitterness toward Hagar. In fact, so much so she abused her. She treated her terribly. And she actually drove her out into the desert. And there is Hagar out in the desert, all alone, having been abused, having been treated horribly, violently. And God comes to her when she's all alone and afraid. And God comes to her and brings comfort. And do you remember the words of Hagar? You are the God who sees me. You are the God who sees me. I have now seen the one who sees me. And I'll tell you, I think about that. God sees those who are going through times of suffering under the hands of oppressive people. He sees it. And he will do something about it. And he sends Jonah with this message of divine displeasure and wrath. And when God saw that exploitation and oppression and abuse, those things that were taking place in Nineveh, he sends Jonah. You know, I started thinking about this. And to be perfectly honest... I don't like to think about the kind of suffering that's in the world today. I don't like to think about people who are being abused. Children who are being abused. Spouses who are being abused. The poor who are being taken advantage of. The oppression that's in the world. You know, our church has a ministry to those who've been victims of human trafficking. Some of you have been very involved with that. You know, there's an old adage, and it goes something like this. Out of sight, what? Right? It's easy not to think about that. But I'm going to tell you, we, we can't ignore this. We can't close our eyes. To these things. And we need to be faithful in praying for those who are undergoing the pain and suffering. Victims of people. Those who are being abused. Such things anger God. And they anger us. Ought to anger us. Well, amazing thing happens. Jonah goes to those people. People who were The oppressors, he goes to them with his message. And you know what happened? They believed God. And they repented. Miracle. They believed God. They declared a fast, all of them, from the greatest to the least of them. Even the king put on sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued that decree, if you remember. Well, here's my question this morning. How in the world do we explain 
What happened there? I mean, was Jonah's sermon so powerful that he grabbed hold of the people? I don't think so. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think Jonah's heart was in his ministry at all. He didn't even want to go. We'll see it next week. You know, when they, you remember what happens when they repent? He gets angry about it. His heart went in this. How do we explain what happened? I want to tell you how we explain it. It was a work of the grace of God. You know, we often don't think about this. We don't think that repentance is a work of God's grace as well. It's not something we just conjure up within ourselves. It's not something that we do within ourselves, that we convince ourselves to be repentant. The reality is, it is God who is the one who grants repentance. In fact, let me show it to you in Second Timothy. Those who oppose him, talking about a, a worker, talking about a pastor, talking about a leader in the church, that's who he's talking about there. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in hope that, look at these words, God will grant them repentance. Where does repentance come from? It's not something you conjure up within yourself. It's something that God does. It's a work of the grace of God in your life. And so how do we, what must we do in light of repentance? First of all, we've got to recognize this. We've got to recognize, but it's God who gives us the spirit of repentance. We have to recognize that. But then I'll tell you what, we need to pray for it. We need to pray for it. I'm going to tell you the two. The two major sins of Jonah. You know what they were? Pride and self-righteousness. Those were the two big sins. Pride and self-righteousness. And I want to tell you something. Those, I think, are the primary sins of religious people. We can be so proud and become so self-righteous that we begin to look at those people out there. We look down our spiritual noses at them. This is convicting. You know, we've got to recognize that repentance comes from God. Then we've got to pray that God would give us repentance And then here's the third thing. We've got to be sensitive to his spirit of conviction. When's the last time you prayed that God would show you your sins? When is the last time you prayed that God would grant you repentance? You see, we have to pray for those things. And when they come... We have to be sensitive. We have to be sensitive to them because it is the Spirit who reveals our sins and who leads us to conviction. I'll tell you what happened in Nineveh. The Spirit of God brought conviction and repentance upon those people. Jonah preached judgment. God granted repentance. And the king was right when he said, Who knows God may yet relent and with compassion, we're going to talk about his compassion next week, with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And you know what happened? All that the king had hoped for happened.
When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion. That's a wonderful word, by the way. We'll pick up on that next week. He had compassion, and here's the key. He did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. He did not bring upon them the destruction that he had, he had threatened. We've been talking a lot about the justice of God. But now, let's look at the mercy of God in action. You see, mercy is what we do not get that we rightly deserve. Do you see it here? He did not bring upon them the destruction. That's what mercy is. Mercy is what we do not get that we rightly deserve. Now, just very quickly, there's grace and there's mercy, right? Those two words. Grace is what we get that we don't deserve. God's unmerited favors. What we get that we don't deserve. His unmerited favor. And you have to realize that it's His undeserved favor that is granted to people with positive demerit on their records. And by the way, that's us. That's what grace is. Mercy, on the other hand, is what we do not get that we deserve to get. What we do not get that we deserve it. What did the Ninevites deserve? Wrath. What did they deserve? Justice. What did they get? They got mercy. They got mercy. They received mercy when God didn't bring upon them the destruction that they deserved. And it's really important for us to recognize that there are only two alternatives. There's justice and there's mercy. We either get what we deserve or we don't get what we deserve. It's one or the other. And God sovereignly determines those who he gives mercy to. Look at it. Here it is. I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. It is his divine prerogative to do so. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes that just rubs me wrong. I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. I'll have on compassion. It's God's divine prerogative. But let me take you a step deeper. You know why it's this divine prerogative? Because of the price that he paid to grant us mercy. What was the price he paid to grant us mercy? The death of his son. You following this? It cost God to grant us mercy. Why? Because God's justice had to be satisfied before he could grant mercy to anybody. His justice had to be satisfied before he could grant mercy to anybody. Why? Because God's actions cannot be inconsistent with God's nature. And he is a just and righteous God who cannot ignore sin and evil. And every sin is a grievous offense against the holiness of God. And therefore, there has to be a penalty for sin. You see it? There has to be. God can't simply look at you and say, oh, well, I like, I, I like him or her, and I'm just going to shut my eyes to it. 
That would do injustice to his nature. He can't do that. And so he has to provide a way, in order for him to grant mercy to us, he has to provide a way because a penalty has to be made. And you know what the penalty is, right? The wages of sin is what? It's death. But the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the question this morning. Who will bear the penalty for our sins? You see, the answer is either we will or Jesus did. And that's the good news. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the idea of substitution. We talked about propitiation. We talked about substitutionary atonement. If you weren't here, it was the sermon that was entitled Calming the Tempest. And we talked about these things. But look at the verse. Here it is. All we like sheep have gone astray. Now look at the second word. We all. The first two words. We all. We all. We all have gone astray. Each of us to his own way. You know what that means? We all. That's you and that's me. Nobody's exempt here. We've all gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But listen, here's the good news. The Lord has laid upon him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Do you see it? In order for God to grant us mercy, his justice had to be satisfied. And what God did is he placed our sins upon the one person in all of history who was absolutely sinless and blameless, his own son. And Jesus bore it for us. He satisfied the justice of God by bearing the penalty for our sins so that we could receive his mercy. And here's the bottom line. That old hymn, Jesus Paid it all, all to him I owe. Oh, those sweet words from Elvina Hall who wrote this. She penned these words. For nothing good have I whereby thy grace to claim. I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's lamb. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And when before the throne I stand in Him complete, Jesus died, my soul to save, my lips shall still repeat. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. But He washed it white as snow. He did it so that we could receive the mercy of God. Give thanks and bless Him for what He's done. Let's pray here. Jesus, I don't, I have no words to say to thank You enough for what You have done for me. You took all my failures and all my sin, and I know what I deserve. I deserve justice. But by your grace, I got mercy. Because you paid 
the price for me. Oh God, this morning we come to you and we thank you for the good news of the gospel and the hope that's ours in Christ. I pray this morning where repentance is needed, that you bring that conviction. And then that we'd lift our eyes up and we'd see the beautiful Savior who gave us all for us. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.